Hello and welcome to the China Gaming Federation podcast. My name is Charlie. I'm joined here with Austin, who is over in China. I'm in the United States. What's going on, man? Not much. We uh, we just had our final event here in China, and uh, things are going pretty smoothly. I'm just getting ready to wrap up and finish up. The duration of my stay in China. Yeah, that's right. This podcast, we're going to be talking about the eight-year-long history of CGF and kind of wrapping it up. I unfortunately, well, I mean, I had to leave China basically at the beginning of COVID, so I haven't been in China since January of 2020. So it's been just over three years now, which is mind blowing how quickly that time has passed. Yeah, but with me gone, you have remained in Chengdu and you've been doing events and. You know, running CGF essentially in China. So, after three years, you're finally headed out, and unfortunately, the uh, lifespan of this uh, project has come to a conclusion. But it's gone very well, and so I'm not too upset about that. And in this podcast, we can talk about our experience of doing hundreds of events and tournaments and podcasts and all the fun things we did. Absolutely, yeah. I think we'll be doing a little bit of a retrospective. I definitely want to touch upon how COVID has affected CGF, as well as some of the highlights and challenges we've had over the time. But、uh, I think to start out, we should go all the way back to just you know when we first started things. Talk about you know when we started it and.、Um, Yeah, do you remember what our first event was?、Um, I have it listed on the website. I don't remember it in too much detail, actually. But let me just describe the circumstances of when it started. So the first event was in May of 2015, and I am a DJ, and you were kind of DJing sometimes also, and so we sort of knew each other through nightclub stuff in Chengdu, and. And dojo, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Like, right? I think we met through dojo. Yeah, yeah. Myself and some friends started a、um, house party, which happened once a month in Chengdu, called Dojo, which went on for a couple years. And I met Austin through that. But、um, as as that was going on, I had co-founded a game company in Chengdu called Tapper Fun, which became a huge, which exploded into a big mobile game developer. And I was there for five years. And as I was a couple years into that, I was encumbered with all of this free-to-play microtransaction mobile gaming stuff in my head because that was sort of the core of the business. And a lot of that stuff is very sort of dark psychology. Yeah. And it really wore on me. And I felt like gaming was turning into Purely about profitability and numbers and economics and psychology and all these things which I found very off-putting, and so I kind of felt a responsibility to do something good、um, to sort of offset all of that. Right. And I thought to do like a not a nonprofit,、um, you know, project where we just、uh, promoted the good part of games. That might offset <laughs> what I felt was kind of the morally questionable things I was doing. Yes, and、um, so CGF kind of started under those circumstances, and I saw you、um, doing games inside a nightclub. I think it was、uh, here we go, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So one night I went to a nightclub, and Austin was there playing games on a projector, and basically by himself. You know,、um, no one really paying attention, and I thought, oh, that's interesting to see games in this sort of setting. 
Uh, maybe we should cooperate. And that sort of begun the discussion, which eventually became CGF. Right. And uh, and I think we've worked with, you know, a, f- a few people that have kind of been instrumental in kind of making CGF what it was. And one of those people was Heiss, who, you know, we uh, we had, he had helped out with Dojo and stuff too. And um, he had a bar here, an old old bar that had been around for years so our first event was actually at his bar machu picchu and it was bro bro force and nidhog way back in the summer of uh 2015 i believe yeah yeah amazing yeah heist heist was such a good guy he was uh, one of my good friends frequent collaborator he is the proprietor of machu picchu bar as you said and later berlin house and Machu Picchu is a legendary bar in Chengdu. It was around for 15 years and almost no, I mean, it's almost up there with Shamrock is like a famous bar as well. But um, Machu Picchu is truly legendary, along with like the Hemp House yeah. for people who were there in the 2000s. Another legendary bar, which eventually closed. But um, it feels great to have had CGF start in uh, such an iconic venue. Absolutely. I agree. And we had some good events there. Uh, things started out a little bit small. I think in the first year or so, you know, we were thinking, how can we, you know, develop and grow this and reach out to more people? We did have a stable group of people for the first year or so that kind of came out to events fairly regularly, like kind of a crew of people and um, right. also people who helped out, you know, when they could. We had Dan helping out a lot back in the early days of this stuff, which, you know, was really, it, it, it felt good to kind of have people like Heiss and Dan and, you know, different people helping manage different aspects of this. And I think that's part of the reason we were successful in the early days of this. And part of why it's kind of died out through COVID and stuff is just, you know, it, absolutely. It, yeah, it was stable and we had a good group of people with ideas and all of us were excited you know just to be hanging out together and playing games you know i enjoyed us just meeting up regularly to be yeah very true testing out games you know some of the most fun i had was like meeting up to test out keep talking or regular meetups just kind of playing towerfall because we had so much fun with towerfall back in the day yeah absolutely and it's one interesting well one unfortunate i guess side effect of being in China, doing something like this in China, is that the cast of collaborators or even people who attend is constantly shifting because people are just constantly coming and going in China. And so, you know, very few people will stay in China or Chengdu for a long time. And pretty much all the people who we frequently collaborated with left China with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, like Josh has been around because he has a kid now and he's married, but yeah, most people will just sort of come and go and that makes it difficult to create stability. Same issue with Dojo as well. All the people who are involved with Dojo, I think are all gone now. So that's just how it goes in Chengdu. And with COVID yeah. over the last three years, it's been not so much people coming and going, but just people going. Hey, I'd like to just throw in a little side note mentioning Josh. And Josh really did help out a lot, helping with some some of our trivia nights and stuff. And just being a, you know, good member and chatting and helping moderate the groups and stuff. But uh, mentioning his daughter, his wife actually um, 
went into labor and they had their kid during the final of it. I mean, not at the event, but during the final CGF event. So, uh, I mean, he couldn't be there for the event, obviously, but I thought that was uh, interesting. So he had his kid, like, uh, when we had our final event. That is funny timing. Yeah. Eight years. I just can't believe this went on for this long. Um, when we started CGF at that time, 2015, well, 13, 14, 15, 16, I was doing a lot of travel for game industry related uh, obligations, conferences and things, going to Europe, San Francisco, different places. Right. And in some of these places, I met people who did similar events around the world in America and in Europe. And I had some interesting conversations with them and realized like how vastly different their circumstances were from ours. You know, for us to do something like CGF, which really appeals almost exclusively to Westerners, is such an interesting challenge in China, something you would never expect to see there, really. Yeah. Last night, I was at a brewery doing a, a lockpicking meetup, and I saw posters for weekly video game tournaments that they have there, and they give out, like, vouchers for free drinks to people who win the tournaments. Those kind of things are not really hard to find here, to be honest, um, but I think CGF being in China made it just so awesomely bizarre. Right. Yeah, and I think that kind of led to some of the the appeal of it, and I do think we had some kind of real fun events that, that felt more special because of that, you know? We were providing a service that really no one else was here, and definitely not on the scale or putting the level of care that we were into it. The most I've seen, you know, is here or there being, you know, a FIFA tournament or something, and we were really kind of focusing on a niche of, like, indie and uh, the retro gaming aspect of things, so, and that was fun. Yeah, when you look at the list of events which we've had, by my count, I think it's about 140 events. It's difficult to get a real number because this is such a long time span and so many events. And some of the events had, you know, 50 people and some of the events had like five people. Yeah. Um, so just so many hundreds of events and dozens of tournaments. Um, I'm looking at the list now. Some of the games we played a whole lot. Nidhogg, we played a whole bunch. Mario Kart, we played a whole bunch. Super Smash Brothers, whole bunch. Towerfall. Towerfall, for sure, many times. Keep talking. We did that a few times. Uh, NBA Jam, Street Fighter 2, GoldenEye. I mean, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, Power Stone 2. Mortal Kombat. Right, every Mortal Kombat game, basically. Um, just such an exhaustive yeah. list of games. Just amazingly lengthy. You can find this list on our website at chinagaming.org. It's just incredible to look at how lengthy this list has become. And some of these events were really interesting standout events. Um, two which come to mind in particular for me. Like the Game On exhibition? Yeah, I would ask you, after I tell you what mine are, I would ask what your most memorable sort of events are that we did. And for me, sure. the first one that comes to mind is probably the collaboration we did with the Dutch University that had the game design program. Um, and so we did that at Berlin House, and basically a Dutch university sent an email to us, and they said, hey, we have a game design program in Holland, and we are in Chengdu in some um, academic exchange program, and we'd be interested in meeting up with you guys and maybe showcasing some of our student work, which are experimental VR games, um, at an event with you. And so we, did, we recorded a podcast with them, and we did a uh, collaborative event with them 
and we had a friend who had a uh, we had a couple VR setups and we um, exhibited these student projects um, in a you know in a bar, <laughs> uh, which was so cool and so so much fun, and um, that was a real trip for people to be at a bar and be able to try like experimental Dutch VR projects from students who are studying game design as a trade. Uh, absolutely right. wacky event. And in the early days of VR. Yeah, definitely. That was really the early days of VR. Yeah, I think that was probably 2016 or maybe 2017. But that was early days for sure compared to now. Uh, I think that was when, um, right. before the Oculus Rift came out, I think it was the um, Crystal Cove or something is what it was called. It was like the pre-release name. Um, anyway, that was a that was a great memory. And cooperating with a university with a game design program really gave it some, like, academic legitimacy i don't know it suddenly made right. this event where we're just playing games with friends feel like it's related to you know careers and you know people's actual life and we're sort of showcasing not even just games but sort of people's um you know career aspirations it was a very serious um you know thing for the people who were involved i know that they were you know stressed out and under pressure to make sure their demos worked and they were fun and they were enjoyable and you know, there was a sort of tension with the event on their part. But that was definitely one of the standout events for me. Um, how about yourself? When you think of, like, some of the uh, most memorable events, what comes to mind? Um, okay, so there's, like, a few things that stand out. I mean, um, the Smash Bros. release just as, like, kind of an iconic release for me and being able to, I mean, just being able to be in touch with the people out here and have hands-on advice for being able to crack my Switch, having that game leak and unlock everything, and announce the event that, like, we've got everything unlocked and ready to go on the day of launch, having a tournament, and that was the largest tournament I think we ever had. There was maybe 80 to 100 people there. Not everybody could participate. They had to cut, cut off tournament entries. It was just getting too big that was exciting and fun um the halloween event in particular we we got a little ambitious had a lot set up that night and that stands out in particular for how into the vr stuff that rob generously loaned us um how into it heist got that he ended up breaking rob's computer punching it in the middle of a heated session of gorn that was uh, pretty funny felt terrible about that that was pretty funny yeah yeah rob was really cool about that yeah, he was. it was a little bit i mean rob rob shouldn't have known to not leave the laptop there but yeah um anyway yeah very generous contribution of him for sure and unforgettable yeah i mean experience it's like a <laughs> yeah. three thousand dollar laptop just gets like punched hard like in front of <laughs> you know a dozen people that was a crazy moment and Heiss had no idea. He just, like, kept going. You know, somehow the computer exactly. was still yeah, running he just with the monitor. <laughs> yeah. It was. The, the display was just, like, jacked up. And Heiss is still just, like, punching the air. Crazy. Oh, good stuff. And um, a big standout one, I think, was the Game On exhibition. It felt cool to kind of, I mean, not just the tournament. I mean, being able to host the tournament there, that was such a unique experience. But also getting to go behind the scenes and have the podcast. And I got a lot of good video editing experience putting together probably one of my favorite videos that I've worked on from that. So that really stands out to me. And I think also similar to you mentioning the Dutch students and, you know, just kind of 
felt like it gave us a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of credence in this kind of marketplace that we were in. It, it felt more respectable being able to to collaborate with people like that. So that was um, that was a standout one for me, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that. I mean, that's probably the second one that comes to mind. The Game On Retro Game Tournament. That was amazing. That was an amazing opportunity. That was actually the last sort of big event before I left. That was in September of 2019. A month after that, we had a Mortal Kombat 11 uh, T-800 tournament when they added the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. Terminator, and that was a lot of fun too. But the Game On Retro uh, Retro Game Tournament was amazing. I think we played six or something different arcade games um, just to have access to that facility um, that was an amazing uh, you know world tour exhibition which was called game on for people who are unfamiliar the UK sponsored a retro game exhibition which traveled around the world and it stopped in Chengdu for about a month I think and it included something like 500 retro games with you know authentic consoles and arcade stand-ups going back to like 1970s you know pac-man that you know even before that but amazing i mean it's like a museum it was like a traveling museum yeah and um one of the curators of the event ended up becoming a friend of ours who we hung out with quite a bit a brazilian guy and um he gave us access to the facility we hosted a tournament there they facilitated and we recorded a podcast with him and talked with him about what's involved with traveling with hundreds of arcade machines around the world and how he maintains them. And it was such a great experience. That was truly an amazing, amazing time. Yeah, it really was. So I do think we got to do a lot of cool stuff like that. We um, we also, for I think about a year, had that um, kind of... Um, group here wiki factory sponsoring us and um printing us those custom 3d printed trophies that was really cool to be able to provide yeah that was awesome yeah i think we've been able to give away some things right to have 3d printed custom trophies yeah yeah we even found a really cool i remember i found an awesome 3d design online of uh the power glove from the wizard the 1980s movie i found a 3d model of that and um, yeah. contacted the creator of the model and said, hey, I'm in China. I do this uh, gaming group, and I'm interested in using your model to print it and make it into a trophy for game tournaments. Would you be cool with me doing that? Could you share the STL file with me? And he was he's like, yeah, sure, I'll even customize it for you. I'll make it like easier to print it into a trophy, and I'll like write you know your name on it. And I thought, wow, what a cool contribution. So I did... Uh, we did that. I got the file from him. We printed it with this, I think the, the guy was Dutch, right? European guy, certainly, who ran Wikifactory. I think so, yeah. And um, yeah, we said, uh, you know, we would like to print some of these trophies. And in exchange, we will, uh, you know, promote your company, Wikifactory. So it was basically a sponsorship. And so he agreed. So we printed some of those. And what an awesome keepsake for people who won trophies. Yeah, that was great. And we also had that Mario Kart tournament where I think it was Dan did that 3D paper craft trophy of the uh, the Mario show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. We got some photos of all that stuff, I think, on our website. Yeah. Yeah, Mario Kart has to be the game we did the most tournaments for, right? We did so many Mario Kart 
for every Mario Kart, I think. And like, I don't know what it is about Mario Kart. Even at the final event, I had a group of British guys that hadn't come out to any event before, to my knowledge. They excitedly showed up and just played Mario Kart for like an hour or something and then just disappeared. A lot of people over the years have been kind of passionately obsessed i would say i mean vast that's like the only game he really plays is is mario kart and uh he was great about helping host after heist left and everything and he was he was at berlin house and stuff but the only thing he really wanted to play was mario kart and i think over the years that's been the game that's generated the most hype for whatever reason yeah, it's funny. It's I know that at the last event you played Mario Kart and you almost kind of loathed doing it just because we've done it so many times, you know, for your organizers. It's such a different experience than for attendees. Yeah. I learned this at Dojo too. Like after doing, after hosting, you know, 500, 600 person house parties, like after the fifth or sixth one, it's, it's all just kind of exhausting and it turns into just like logistics and details and responsibilities. And it's no longer something which is like right. as novel and fun. And after you host like your eighth Mario Kart tournament, it's a little bit of that feeling. It's just so familiar at that point. But of course, Mario Kart does belong on the short list of the, you know, the best, the most fun competitive games yeah. uh, we've hosted. And not just fun for people playing, but fun for people to watch, you know, it just really creates yeah. um, a fun atmosphere. Well, I think it's also easy for just about anyone to get into as opposed to that one event where we had Tekken and then those competitive players from from Chengdu showed up with their own arcade sticks and stuff and just nobody could really even play with them because they they were playing in esports and stuff they were real competitive players so yeah i mean kind of mario kart is this well-balanced game that i think anyone can get into but everybody appreciates the competition i do think we looked for that in a lot of the games we played but speaking about playing Mario Kart so many times, I don't know if you remember this, but for maybe the first year, for like the first 50 events we did or something, every single event we strove to do different games. And I, and talking about getting tired after a while, the first couple of events were fun and exciting because we had been talking about it. We had a bunch of ideas for different games we wanted to play. It was exciting and fun to kind of come up with, you know, these curated lists of games that we would play and introduce to people. And after a handful of events and after playing so many different games, it started to get to be real difficult to, to come up with ideas of what to play. After doing it for a couple of years, it was like, well, what, you know, what have we done? What do people want to play? Should we be revisiting games? Do we introduce new things? It definitely started to turn into, you know, a, a bit more of a responsibility, you know, feeling like it was work about figuring out how to how to plan these events. Right. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, and it's interesting to see some of the games worked so well for this format and some really didn't. I think the one which you just mentioned is probably an example of the the biggest one which didn't. Like of all the tournaments, you know, which went well, we, we have, there's a lot of those. Um, and I'd love to you know, share some of what I thought were the best ones. And you can tell me what you think yours were. But when we talk about the ones which like didn't work well, Tekken is like maybe at the top of that list 
in terms of, you know, the goal of CGF was really to create a social gaming environment where everyone can participate, everyone can have fun, and it can be a group experience. Right. As opposed to, you know, three people who are like Tekken experts pulling off like 15 hit combos when everyone else is just confused and frustrated. Right. Yeah. I think Tekken is the best example of that going poorly absolutely the best because it's such a technical game you know and somebody who's put years into it it's easy to just see the kind of this their expertise rain down on anyone else who's i mean even you know you or me had difficulty to play with someone like that and we're familiar with fighting games but it's just i mean memorizing combos and stuff you know yeah, absolutely. I think the, the miscalculation wasn't playing Tekken. It was just assuming that people like that would not show up. Uh, we assumed that, you know, right. people who are just like casual players who remember Tekken on PlayStation 1 fondly would come and just try to figure it out as opposed to like guys who have combos memorized and like bring their own arcade sticks. So, And that wasn't generally much of a thing we saw. We didn't host a lot of events which had these sort of like hardcore you know chinese pro gamer types like show up didn't didn't have much of that no i think we generally had a good mix of people and that was just the kind of chasm between you know those players and the other people there was such a huge gap compared to any other event i can't think of a single other event that came close to the gap in skill that that one had. Yeah, so if we talk about some of the best games that we played or most fun games, uh, I would love to go through some of those. I've got a list of all the events in front of me with all the games, and there are a couple standouts for sure, but when we think about creating an environment where everyone can have fun watching, everyone can have fun playing, everyone can have a chance to you know, achieve some success in the game, for anyone else who would be interested in hosting an event like CGF or playing a game like in a group um, who might be listening to this, what do you think are some of the top games that they should play? Um, I'll go over a couple of mine real quick. And the first few, the first one has to be Nidhogg, which is the 2D Atari looking fencing game, which is super simple. Absolutely. Um, Anyone can learn it really quickly. Uh, it's very easy to visually understand what's going on, and that's very important to these games. Um, that casual people with no knowledge of the game can see what's going on with their eyes and understand what's happening. Um, the avil- ability to parse visually uh, what's you know going on in the game is critical. Nidhogg does that really well. Super good game for that. Uh, Towerfall is another game which we was our favorite game probably for the first two years of the event. Um, and Cluster Puck, which is like an air hockey game, essentially. Yeah, Cluster Puck. Yeah, that one was a real blast. Um, And so I think there might be some people hearing this who aren't familiar with those, but uh, Nidhogg, Towerfall, and Cluster Puck are three standouts, especially from the first year of the event, which we played a lot. Absolutely. Um, With more players... I had a lot of fun with um, regular human basketball, which was just goofy, but fun and exciting. I think it was easy to look at and kind of understand the concept, but part of the fun was just like not 
fully understanding and being able to communicate things. I think Overcooked worked well because of the level of communication that needs to happen, but the ease of concept about, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and we had a lot of similar games, too, like Samurai Gun, uh, Demons with Shotguns, Duck Game. Those are all kind of similar to, to Towerfall and worked relatively well, I think, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the games that worked really well were were more simple. Some of the stuff, you know, is also, I mean, like, the visual of the things. I think um, one night at Berlin House, we had genital jousting up on there. And a lot of people were walking by and just shocked to see such a, such a ridiculous game that they stopped in. Um, yeah. And I've had a lot of fun with um, that one game, Ultimate Chicken Horse, which is kind of like competitive Mario Maker. I think a lot of people got into that the level of creativity that can kind of go into it as well as the competition. Yeah. And retro games worked really well too. Cause people kind of have memories with it. Smash bros. You mentioned Tony Hawk before. Um, yeah. Some of the best retro games I think were street fighter two NBA jam, uh, NFL blitz power stone two and the original power stone also and old mortal Kombat games, mortal Kombat three, but Assuming that yeah. there are no Mortal Kombat pros in your midst, because if there are, then they will wipe the floor with everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that we kind of lucked out having kind of a good balance of skill at tournaments and stuff for Mortal Kombat, which worked out well. I also think with new Mortal Kombat games coming out, that generated... A fair amount of interest in Mortal Kombat. You know, I mean, if I don't. Yeah, we had going all the way back to, I think we played the original Mortal Kombat once. It's not the best one to play, uh, probably two or three in terms of like the old ones. Yeah. But uh, we played both of those certainly multiple times. And then we played the newer Mortal Kombat multiple times also. We played Mortal Kombat X a few times and we played Mortal Kombat 11 a few times. 9, 10, 11. Yeah, yeah. We played Mortal Kombat 11 on release day. That was super fun. Um, really enjoyed that. Yeah. And then when some of the DLC came out, I think the last tournament that I was there for was the T800 Mortal Kombat. Arnold. Yeah, Mortal Kombat 11 event, and that was a blast. Also. Yeah, that was in October. I think you left around September. I left in November, right before yeah. Thanksgiving, and that was in October. So it was a month before then. Oh. I'm looking at this, at the list in front of me, too. I think the last thing you were there for was this Killer Queen Black You're right, actually. Yeah, I think that was the last tournament. And for that, of, and I think we actually ended up not even having enough people come out to that event to actually have a tournament. We just played the game with a group of us. Yeah, unfortunately, Killer Queen Black is not a good choice, actually. Um, looking back on that, just because it requires so many people, it requires tons of people, and it's like very complicated and like requires a lot of coordination. I just saw Killer Queen at a convention which I was at like less than a month ago, and um, it really requires like commitment. You know, you got to have like eight people, yeah, who are I, I think it's even ten people, ten people who are like committed. 
you know, like I'm on this team. And well, Killer Queen Black is eight, and the original is yeah. ten. The arcade one's ten. Yeah, yeah. It's a rare sighting. I've only seen. I've only played it in the arcade. I think three times or two or three times. Like it's very uncommon that you find that. I think it's like a seven thousand dollar arcade machine or something like that. And there's only really a handful of them like in the world so this goes into some of the difficulties that we had with some of the events right so a game like that it's not as if we've never had events that had enough i mean we've hosted events that definitely had enough people that we could have played something like killer queen black in a tournament setting but the problem was that a lot of this a killer queen black for example is a sequel to an arcade game. It's a very niche indie retro throwback game, you know? So it didn't, it just did not pull out that many people. Now I mentioned Mario Kart or the Smash Tournament, for example. Launch of a game that has a ton of nostalgia, people associate it with very well known, pulled out a ton of people. Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater, we pulled out a ton of people for that because it's got more mass appeal. It pulled out a lot of people. So I do think we struggled with some of these events just due to the niche nature of some of these games being difficult to actually pull out people. There's very few games like that. Very, very few games are on that list of, you know, comparable to Killer Queen, like where it really requires special knowledge. But considering that there are four people on one team in Killer Queen Black, You know, if you have like five teams competing, which is, you know, a reasonable amount for a tournament, that's 20 people that have to be like committed to a team. Um, It's tough to get 20 people to come out and organize into, you know, groups of four. Um, That's just a high bar to meet for a casual thing like this, you know, unless you're like at a gaming convention or something where there's like thousands of people to draw from in that sort of situation, it would be not difficult to do. But if you're just pulling random people in a, you know, faraway place like Chengdu, that's, yeah, it's a tall order. Absolutely. Um, We also did worms and I, you know, I thought worms would be a great fit, but that was also a little bit complex for, I mean, a lot of the people, at that particular event happened to be more casual gamers or some of them not even really gamers at all. So it was a little bit difficult for them to wrap their head around and playing a turn-based game, passing the controller around, remembering when it was your turn, who was playing and stuff. That proved to be a little bit difficult too. Yeah, watching people who don't really know how to play Worms play Worms is not fun at all. It's painful, it's downright painful. Yeah, it's just like a lot of just walking around and shooting yourself and messing up. Yeah, but something like Nidhogg, it's just, it's so short, fast, sweet to the point. And watching someone absolutely lose in that game is kind of hilarious. And it's over so quick, it's, it's not like it's a painful experience. Absolutely. Whereas a match of worms could take a while, especially if they're bad. You know, it's, it's going to take a while to lose. So that that's tough. Yeah, not fun. Not fun. So Worms is a good example of another game which didn't work so well in this format along with Killer Queen. Yeah, some things that I was surprised worked well. I mean, we had a lot of fun with Keep Talking and we're excited to play it. And I'm surprised that it worked out relatively well 
and that setting. I think part of it was that was, um, I think, back the first time we played it was all the way back at Machu Picchu. It was a smaller, more intimate setting. So really kind of the atmosphere led to, to people kind of being cl sitting close to each other and really communicating closely. But that was a ton of fun. I enjoyed that. It really was. You know, I recently played Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, and it was not nearly as much fun uh, recently. And I realized why. It's because when we played it at CGF, it, we played it on PlayStation VR. And the beauty of that is that one per, you know, the arrangement which we had is we had a projector. And so the PlayStation is projecting the image which the um, person disarming the bomb sees. And then uh, everyone can see the screen and they can hear the ticking and which creates this sort of anxiety, yeah. which onlookers have, which is fun, you know, and the person disarming the bomb is, you know, inside their own world trying to navigate the instructions from the bomb expert, but everyone can watch what's going on on the projector. And I played it recently on Oculus Quest and, um, it was not nearly as much fun. And the reason why is because the group said um, third parties can't see what's going on. Yeah. There's just one person in the VR headset, but it's not outputting to a TV or a projector. So the only person who can see is the person who's diffusing the bomb and everybody else is just kind of like sitting there. And so it's really not as much fun at all. Like in that sort of environment, interesting example of like the old version being better than the new one. Right. But it really did work at CGF. It worked really well with PSVR, and I kind of regret getting it for Oculus Quest since I printed out the manual and wanted to give it a shot again. And it's like, oh man, this is not as much fun. You really got to, um, you really got to put the image onto a screen which people can see to make it, you know, more interesting to watch and experience. So speaking about kind of some of the things that were difficult, I'm curious to know what are some of the things that you think were some of the biggest challenges that we faced. And what are some of the things that we maybe did or wanted to do that you wish could have kind of come to fruition in a in a maybe a better setting or with more people or really flourished more than they could have? I mean, me personally, for example, we tried doing some LAN events and we just did not have people kind of showing up for that other than maybe one or two events where we had a handful of people we did have starcraft work out but i was looking forward to playing like unreal tournament left for dead a lot you know quake a lot of stuff like that and that just kind of fizzled out um due to numerous factors yeah well i can see why that didn't work well the idea of like bringing your laptop to a bar is just like not a very exciting prospect for most people. Right. Uh, most people just want to come and have everything all set up and just like have a drink and play games. Um, they don't want to worry about like, you know, people's IP address and all you know, all this like you know, nonsense which is involved in LAN gaming, especially with retro games which are particularly problematic with, you know, the setup. Everyone has to have the game installed and here's the game on a USB drive and install that. It's just a lot of work. Right. Uh so what do you think beyond that? Is there anything else that you think could have gone you wish had gone better or you thought was particularly difficult? Yeah, I mean just having a constantly shifting cast of people made it difficult. It wasn't like we had 
collaborators and could build a solid, like persistent group. I mean, we do have a persistent group. I mean, there were like, you know, people who are, who are at many of the events and are still in Chengdu, but most of the people left Chengdu, I would say. So that really made it tough. Also changing venues all the time. Yeah. We probably did events in what, like eight or nine different venues. Let's see. We had Machu Picchu. We had... And that's just due to places places opening and closing. Yeah, we tried Rob's place, the old place, and the new place. We did Dave's Oasis. Chris, I think, was really great to work with. He was excited and, you know, really wanted to provide a good thing. It just didn't work out well there for very long. I think Joel was really helpful at Great Leap, but Joel left, you know. So a lot of these people left, their venues closed, and that definitely did you know, make things really difficult. And you can look at our our events list and things that we did, and it just really started to slow down. I mean, I really, even after you left, I tried to keep it going for a while, but I think the most stable it was for a period of time was when I was doing events at Great Leap. And we had some really good events there. It was a lot of fun. Had some good turnout for quite a few of the events. A drunk driving tournament in Mario Kart. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, a lot of things went well. But, it, you know, it was just... I think it was also kind of tiring just trying to have to keep switching it up without any sort of stable foundation to build on. And it didn't really lend to... Yeah, I can see that you hosted nine events in 2020. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy given COVID. You know, COVID started. I remember you had one event planned right at the beginning of COVID and you didn't want to cancel it, but people were like, oh, maybe we should cancel it due to this, uh, yeah. you know, China flu. <laughs> and then it eventually ended up getting canceled out of necessity. And yeah, for a long time, I mean, China has been, you know, going through hell for a couple of years now. So. The fact that you were able to even host nine events in 2020, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, I mean, things kept switching up. I had numerous people contact me that wanted to do things, but there were also people contacting me to host events that would make promises to, you know, take part in the planning process and stuff. But after you left, ultimately, it all fell on me. The people that would want me to do things and stuff would fall short on a lot of their promises. Um, I mean, like it would mostly just be me doing things, which yeah. made it, made it tough to kind of do a lot of the things. For sure. There's a lot of logistics to manage. Um, and when you're just one person, it makes it a lot harder. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were, we were both pretty busy doing a lot of this stuff for years. And when, you know, when I was gone yeah. and it all falls on you, that's a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, dude, like we talked about this privately, you know, just about how like we did a lot of cool stuff. I think we did, you know, a lot of I mean, we've already mentioned several things that I think were, you know, respectable events. They were well done you know to the best of our ability in the environment we were in and everything and i'm i'm really happy with what we did i didn't want this stuff to just fizzle out so you know we had this final event but it's just been so unstable and hard and me finally making the decision myself to leave china it just really you know i mean 
even over the past year, has already been at a point where it's like we needed to wrap this up, which is sad. I mean, it was really, really a lot of fun for years. Did tons of great stuff. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, if we could go back to ourselves in 2015 and say, you know, this is going to go on for eight years and you're going to host 140 events and 40 tournaments, like that would have been mind-blowing the fact that it would go on for that long and just be hundreds of events so i mean it's gone really well you know in terms of yeah the the lifespan and duration of this has been longer than i thought it would have been that's that's for sure i mean at, in 2015 when we started this it felt like the light was just beginning to dim in china you know it just started to feel like the beginning of like hmm, this is not looking like such a great place anymore. It feels like this place is not thriving in the way that it was. 2015 was like the first year that I really felt that. Absolutely. Um, and I think it was a couple months after the first CGF event because the first event was in May. And I think the stock market crash was in like August or something like that of 2015, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that was the first you know, period where like the economy of China started to falter and China started to become more authoritarian. And then that feeling just compounded, you know, year after year. But that process began in 2015. By the time 2019 came around and then COVID, I think it, to me at least, and to many others who I spoke with, it was clear that it's like, you know, make an exit plan, um, you know, get prepared to leave China because it's ending. And so, you know, this feeling was kind of compounding as uh, CGF was developing and going on. Yeah, for real. I think there were numerous times in running these events and everything and starting the podcast that we questioned whether we would be able to continue it, whether things would have the possibility to grow. And somehow, against the odds, it it kept going. And we still had, you know, large events, even after questioning it numerous times and changing venues. So I, I think that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, well, we kept at it. We were persistent. You know, we persevered a lot of hardship to, to get it done. And not all the events were a huge success, but many of them were. Yeah, good, good run. Some good memories. So end of an era for sure. Right, so let's take this opportunity and say thanks Say thanks to everybody who has listened to the podcast, everybody who's come to the events, everybody who participated in the tournaments. Um, what a great experience for us and for many of the people who attended. Yeah, huge and amount that of feels gratitude. Great. So appreciate everybody who came and had fun with us. Yup. Thank you so much. Also to all the people that have helped out over the years in little and big ways. Huge amount of gratitude for sure. Right. Wouldn't have been possible without the collaborative spirit, which so many people had. All the people we recorded the podcast with um, in interviews and, um, you know, guests, all the people who helped us host CGF events, um, plan the logistics of the events, people who contributed hardware, games, um, all sorts of resources to make the events possible. Um, really appreciate it. Great times. Yeah. Wow. Bit of a melancholy feeling. Yeah, let's wrap it up. The final podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. Probably the final podcast. We'll see. Um, but we certainly already had the final event. We'll see if there are any more developments. But um, the website will remain online at um, 
chinagaming.org and the podcast will be available and thanks so much to everybody all right over and out take care